and welcome to Bougie Adjacent. I'm Amanda Lauren. Today I am so excited to have really one of the top podcasters. She is. She has like millions of downloads. So she's one of the top podcasters on my show, Kate Casey of Reality Life with Kate Casey. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. It's it's so exciting to have you because I think, one, you're so good at what you do. Your content is so, you know what it is? Your content is so listenable. I don't oh, even know if listenable you. is a word. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. It's fun. It's current. It's interesting. So for anyone who's living under a rock who has not heard your show, tell me about it. So twice a week, I interview everyone in unscripted television. So unscripted would mean reality TV, docuseries, and documentaries. And I interview everyone from talent, directors, producers, and sometimes even the hosts. So I'm sort of an unscripted television nerd, and I'm always looking for what to watch each week and put out a list each week of what to watch as well. So inevitably, I think people kind of rely on me for what to watch. You're like the nouveau TV guide, but nothing yeah. like TV guide. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm an infinitely curious person. I'm calling in, you know, stuff from all different networks. I get screeners. I'm, I'm just looking for what people want to watch. I think I have a really good pulse on what people are interested in and what's like the next big thing in shows. So it's weird because then I, inter I feel like I interview people and then I'm over it. Like for, I remember when Tiger King came out, I did an episode behind the scenes of Tiger King. And then I felt like it was the following week that everybody started to get obsessed with it, but I was already over it. So it is kind of like a double-edged sword. <laughs> I liked it, but I don't get obsessed with shows. I'm like a loyalist. Like something has to make <laughs> me really, like I have shows that I've been watching for years and then something has to make me like, okay, like this is going to sound so strange, but I was an RHOC girl for years. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know if you're friends with her because I know you're friends mm -hmm. with some of the cast, but when yeah. Shannon Bedore gained weight and there was that whole scene of her hating yeah. her body, it made me feel there was something like, mm -hmm. I don't want to watch someone else no. hate their body on TV. No. No. This grosses me out. And like, not mm -hmm. to say her body was gross, but her attitude about her mm -hmm. body. I, I don't know if I just found it really triggering, but I'm like, I can't watch this anymore. Yeah, I think a lot of women related to that, especially when you're watching a woman that has had children and is at a point where you never got the sense that Shannon was someone who worked out or ate well. So that's kind of depressing because she's at a point where she's like, I don't know if I can fix this problem. And then the other problem is then some of them lose a lot of weight and you're left to wonder as women, you're like, how does that work unless you're really diligent about your diet and you are working out at max capacity and if that story doesn't really mesh up then you're even more annoyed so yeah I think that particularly women shows like the real housewives over time it's getting harder to watch because the stories are less relatable and as you see in the bachelor it's really hard to keep a show fresh and new after 15 16 17 years it's well, here's the other thing too, and I and I like say this, and this is going to sound really mean, and this is coming from someone who, by the way, like sharp left, I had a miscarriage, and I haven't really talked about it, but it oh, wrecked okay. my body. Like my hormones mm -hmm. were really off. 
a lot of my clothing doesn't fit me right. I'm still like a full cup size larger and it's been several mm-hmm. months. And like we're trying and to it, get pregnant I, again, but yeah, I think that that is a really hard thing for a lot of women to make sense of when you're in that window of time with your fertility. You're either trying to get pregnant, you're it's postpartum and your body is in a really weird place. And I don't know if a lot of women are eager to touch women who clearly are using Adderall or other things to keep them very skinny. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't make us feel good. So I absolutely understand that. But I also feel like here's the thing. It's like I was like, okay, I am not going to go on a crazy diet because I want to have kid. Like I'm, we're yeah, trying you again. Yeah. But I went to acupuncture. I've been going to acupuncture. I've always Good. eaten healthily and I've always exercised. So like for these women who have all of this money, okay, to not. You have the money to hire a chef. I know someone who has a lot of money and she wants, she likes her body a very certain way. She's not on TV, but, and she's like, well, I have a personal chef. Like you can get a chef, you can get a trainer. If you're not doing, which by the way, it's not that hard to cook healthy and no one needs, anyone can go work out for free. There's, if you have a computer, there's a bajillion things on YouTube. So like, I'm not even being elitist Mm -hmm. about this, but if you have the money, you can make you can get cool sculpting. You can make your body better. But to sit there and hate your body and to not do anything about it really kind of yeah. bothers me. Is that is that awful to say? No, it's honest. Yeah. I just I think that your feelings are like a lot of other people just in general about television. After COVID, I think that there's just been a shift in what people want to watch. Like people really want to watch uplifting stories. They want to see people that are confident and healthy and strong and they're building something versus just building an image. Oh, a thousand percent. And I think that like what I really miss about the Real Housewives, and I would say like this is most of the franchises, is like it's not as aspirational as it was in the beginning. No, it's not. Especially because over the course of all these years, we've come to find out that a lot of the cast members, it was really just smoke and mirrors, that they weren't really honest about their lifestyle and their businesses and more importantly, their relationships. So I think that people feel like if they're going to make a big commitment to a show, that they want to feel like the person that's supposedly cracking their life open for viewers is being authentic. It's, I kind of miss, it's weird. Like I relate a lot to like the first season of Real Housewives of New York because mm-hmm. I grew up a few blocks from Jill Zarin, Luann, and mm-hmm. Bethany. And they were all a few blocks from each other. I've been to, well, I've passed by Luann's old townhouse a million times. And that was like probably back in the day, a 12, 13, maybe a $14 million townhouse. Um, And I was in real estate in New York, so these numbers aren't completely coming out of nowhere um, when that show was on. But, like, it's just – I kind of liked that. And I liked how Bethany was trying to work her way up and trying – and she – listen, I was in not her apartment, but the same apartment in her building. When I tell you it was tiny, trust me when I say it was tiny, and I've lived in some pretty tiny places – 
but she was trying to aspire. And then there were the women who were already there. And it was, I don't know, there was something about that instead of just being complete train wrecks like Sonia. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it sort of like hurts, I don't know, it sort of like hurts my heart a little bit. But what do you, let me ask, what is your, because you watch everything, I feel like, or everything. But what's your favorite? Like, what is your go-to? It really always changes. It really does. I mean, there's not one show where I'm like, I know that I can always rely on it. It's because it's just, I'm constantly um, intrigued by new things. So right now, I'm, I, I, I think I'm most eager to see what's coming out of HBO Max because I love docuseries and documentaries. And I, I think that, there are some new streaming networks that have really interesting content like IMDb TV. I think Crackle's doing some interesting stuff. Um, Hulu has some really great shows too. So it's always changing. There's nothing that I can say I, I can rely on. This is always going to be good. That's amazing. So you're just not a loyalist. You are not, you're loyal no. to reality TV, but not to any particular show or network. I think I'm more loyal to the filmmakers than I am to the show or the talent like I know that if Kent Weed is helming a project that it's going to be extraordinary I know that if Barry Bernstein who who are these what are their projects so Kent Weed created American Ninja Warrior and Hell's Kitchen and does a ton of stuff with Gordon Ramsay like I know that he makes a great show. I know that Barry Bernstein from uh, Real Housewives of New York makes fantastic TV projects. I know that there are a lot of directors and executive producers that have done HBO projects about um, sports figures. I know they're going to do so, do great stuff. So I think I've come to the point where I'm, I'm, I'm more so watching the people who make these shows to to kind of follow what they're making versus waiting for the network to announce a project that's not how anyone else watches reality tv i know and i also watch reality tv different because i'm always looking through i think a different lens almost like a like a producer lens and i'll give you an example when people talk to me about a cast member on real housewives of beverly hills and i feel like over time the meme culture has compromised the the sanctity of the show Because in the meme culture, you're canceled if you're not over the top. So a lot of housewives will say privately to me, I feel like if I'm not over the top, I'm going to be told I'm boring and I should, you know, the the audience is going to go, they're boring, get rid of them. When the really, the show was supposed to be about complicated women and their complicated relationships. So, you know, not everybody is bombastic. It's sometimes the small moments that are the most poignant and really teach you about someone in their window into their world. So when I'm watching something like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, someone might say, you know, Teddy should be kicked off the show or Sutton should be kicked off the show. I mean, they're very temperamental that, you know, the other viewers, like they don't, they don't work. They don't work. But for me, I'm looking at the umbrella of the show. So I'm thinking, okay, in this franchise, this is the story of women that exist in Beverly Hills. We need a Sutton because her husband has so much money and worked in financial service. She is the archetype of the financial service wife who's much more contained, who um, 
has access to a private jet and will get couture clothing. We need Kyle because she is the child actress who has access to so many powerful players and knows where everyone's bodies are buried. We need Garcelle because, uh, you know, she's this extraordinary uh, model who has worked in the industry for so many years and she can give the point of view of what it's like to be a black actress and a black host. We need Crystal because she is the wife of a director. That that's something we've never had on that show before. And that's an interesting perspective. She is existing in a city that is a company town, an industry town, and how her perspective is different than someone like a Kim Richards. Kim Richards, to me, people loved her because she was kind of wacky. And I do love the element of the Hilton sisters, I which I think is really important. But somebody like Brandy while entertainment entertaining she doesn't make as much sense to me in in the in the archetype system of like or the structure of a show than someone like crystal or sutton does so that's how i'm watching the show in the same way that i look at the other housewife cities and think okay this is supposed to represent the women of that city or uh, like so who are the different players in that city that would make sense for this show so I think I'm always looking through a producer, casting, and viewer hat, which is probably a little, a little bit different than other people. No, that's super interesting how you see that all those elements are sort of are sort of needed. What I sort of miss, it's weird. Like, and I am sort of into it's strange because I love dark things. Like it's because people are always like, you're so light. You're so this. I'm like, no, actually inside I'm kind of like a dark person and drawn mm -hmm. to anything like depressing and that. But like when I watch these shows, I kind of prefer, it's weird. Like Kim to me just got so sad at the end. Mm -hmm. And there's like people struggling. Like it's weird. Like Sonia. Well, Kim, Kim Richards and Sonia are kind of, have kind of similar things. Kim represents the person who peaked at a certain age. And what happens to those people when they can't get hired for jobs? And because it's a Beverly Hills is a company town. She was once the darling of the studios, right? And had, you know, really interesting boyfriends and was like on the cover of magazines. And then to see this really riches to rags story in the yeah. same way that Erica is now riches to rags in the same way that Sonia was riches almost to rags. So I like those stories because they're unlike other stories you see on television, scripted and unscripted. And that to me is always the best part of unscripted television is that you're getting a window into someone else's world. You might sit on your couch in Akron, Ohio and think, gosh, my life would be so incredible if I lived in Beverly Hills and I lived in an $8 million mansion. And then when you watch a show, you're in the quiet moments of the conversations you're seeing. I do relate to that part of Kyle's story. And boy, her life is a lot more complicated than I would have thought. And maybe I judged somebody and I should not have. And if I did go to lunch with Kyle, maybe we could talk about you know, mothers who've had health issues or sisters who suffer with um, addiction issues or what, whatever it is. I, I, it's always my hope that people kind of learn more about themselves as they watch the show and certainly more about other people. I like, you know, the thing you said, Erica, like riches to rags. It's, it's sort of, 
Well, it's weird. So I was at a party um, a few months ago and I actually, her publicist was there and I said, come on, like, mm-hmm. tell me. What's... And he said to me that she didn't know. And I well, think what else that... is he going to, what else is he going to say? I know. But this is the thing. I was think this J- that... Jack Katsoyan? I can't remember his name. I can't remember. It was, listen, it was the first time I had been out in so long <laughs> and I just drank yeah. way too much um, at the party. But I was like, oh my gosh, I had like three drinks and I was done. Not like Sonia yeah, done, yeah. but I'm like, oh shit, like I'm not going to remember that guy's name. Um, but it's funny because I think that to a certain extent, like with her and like Teresa from New Jersey, I look at them and I'm like, Do you know how many things like I've signed without reading? Or if my husband said to me, sign Mm -hmm. this, it's for this. Yeah, like whatever you want. But to a certain extent, I'm like, do they know? And they choose to ignore it because essentially there's nothing they can do about it. I think it kind of remains to be seen. And I'm looking forward to watching all of the other episodes. I interviewed the executive producer of Evolution who films Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and asked him, do you at any point have concerns that the the footage that you've, you know, done will be subpoenaed in the case mm. of a lawsuit? And he said, you know, I can't think about that. I tell my team, this is about us filming a show in real time. And if we start to think about, well, maybe we should not film this because this might be used later, then we're not telling an authentic story. So we're going to worry about that later. So they shot in real time so you're seeing like the last two episodes took place on october 28th and 29th and then she filed for a divorce four days four days later later on election day so that's really compelling tv because people are watching going she was just on a trip and she was talking about her husband in loving terms but then again she did make that comment about he does forget things sometimes and so we're here now in june and we know that in the lawsuit that they're saying that he has dementia so it's almost it's it's like a puzzle and we're just trying to put the pieces together and i commend them because they really did film under extraordinary circumstances in a global pandemic and then as they're filming they have this cataclysmic divorce which affects countless victims and in in this case millions of dollars and they're also in the midst of this telling very unique singular stories about the other housewives and then also how their lives overlap in a time where we're going through a cultural revolution and talking about race and misogyny in a way we've never seen on television. It's it's interesting. And I interviewed Garcelle about that. She was on this show a few episodes ago. And, you know, I said to her, like, like, what, what is that like? And I said, I feel weird asking this as like a white person, but you know, what, what is that Mm -hmm. like? And what was it like with Crystal? And she said that, you know, that they had, you know, things in common and that we were going to see a lot of this discussion on, on the show. And I think, I think it's important. And I, but I also think too, and, you know, it's, it's so funny because just all of this has been on my mind. I mean, ever since last year, we've all we've all been talking about race more often. And I'm just there's part of me that's like naturally for any sort of content that I've been involved in, you know, for my entire with podcasting, with writing, whatever, I've always included different races, different kind, different perspectives because it's just so much more interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it just comes sort of 
natural to me to want to hear, you know, different stories and showcase different people. And so to me, it's sort of from that, that perspective of like, and of course, you know, I mean, just with it's, but there's something so uncomfortable. I'm like, am I not being diverse enough? Are these conversations, you know, and I feel like those producers must have so much pressure because everyone was white years ago on these shows. And Mm -hmm. well, I think the onus is on them to become progressive modern shows because that's what people are hungry for are, are modern shows. And if you have a cast of all white women in the same um, neighborhood who come from the same social structure, the same economic level, it's not really telling a progressive story. No, and it's funny because you say all the same neighborhood. Well, RHOC, originally they were all in, what's it called? Coda. Coda de Casa. All in that gay neighborhood, literally all the Mm -hmm. same. And I think that that was an interesting show because it showed a peek into a world most of the viewers, 99% of the viewers, whatever, were not a part of. Whereas now it's trying to actually be more relatable. And how do you think, do you think that's good? Do you think that's bad? Um, Do you think, do I think it's better that they're broadening their scope so it doesn't just tell the story of one neighborhood? Um, You know, I think that there were elements of the earlier show that were really compelling. I mean, I always talk about the, the story of, you know, Vicki Gumbelson is in her home office and she's got this woman who is kind of working under her and she's a divorcee and Vicki is in the power position. She's the boss, but also makes a lot of jabs. And then during the course of the first season, Lori meet somebody else and he's very wealthy and then she ultimately ends up marrying him and he's gifting her with cars so the whole classism issue is really compelling to see how vicky com- becomes unraveled because unravels because this woman that worked behind her in the home office is now in a position where she doesn't need to work and she's wearing designer clothing and you're left to wonder if vicky is looking at her like that's the life I should have led, but I've had to make sacrifices because I was the breadwinner in my first marriage and I'm in my second marriage and I'm raising these two children and why you and not me. So I do think that's a really compelling story. And it was one that we had never seen on television before, particularly because it featured women at a certain age, which historically television networks kind of had ignored. So I do think that that was important. And I still think it's an important story to tell. And you can go back in time and it's just as relevant today as it was back then. But I also think that as we move into the year 2022, we want to see stories that involve other cultures, other faiths, um, because our world looks a lot different than it did 18 years ago when it was just a group of women who lived in this very, very tiny part of Orange County, which, by the way, is like 45 minutes inland. So when I say that it's small, it's really small. No, I know. It's not. Here's the other thing, too. It's not even. And this is what I think is very like smoke and mirrors about a lot of these like reality show houses. It's not even that. I mean, like I've looked at the prices there. It's, I mean, listen, and I guess not compared to the rest of LA or Southern California, I should say, it's not even that expensive to live there. 
Well, I, I only bring that up because I think that the show, once it came out, people had this misconception that these homes were right at the beach and that these women lived in $15 million homes and had this wildly over-the-top lifestyle. And now we know in retrospect that if you were to compare th that home to something in Ohio, I mean, it's not that much different. It's just, it's in a zip code where the price, the price of the homes are higher, but it's out in the boonies. And so I think that people get frustrated because there was the way that it was presented was not really what was totally true. I mean, they'd be living for what those cost. They'd be living in little condos in Newport Beach at, at that time. That's or you sure. could have a mansion yeah. in in Kodo. and yeah. Newport Beach is a lot nicer. And I think there's there's so. But much the women, but the women out. had, but the women had attitudes like they lived in Beverly Hills, and I think that that was amusing for the viewer because they just thought the ego that is attached to this yeah narrative is insane. It's and then I was going to say it's so funny. I was thinking about her, Lynn. That was her name. Mm -hmm. And then Lynn, I mean, this is like a long time, moved into that like tiny apartment. Yeah. And they, and like, they took her off the show. Now I think it would have been way more interesting if she would have stayed on. Well, that was an interesting story too. And I feel like that's a very common story in Orange County where people are living on credit cards, but they want to present themselves as incredibly wealthy. And in her case, her husband, Frank, had been... I'd worked in construction, which is always like a very interesting business to be in because you never really know what the truth is. But they had, had been renting a home in Laguna Beach and their daughters were given brand new cars for their 16th birthday. They always had really nice clothing. She was getting plastic surgery treatments. And then to hear that he had actually not been honest about their finances and that they did authentically get an eviction notice on television handed to their daughters and so i do think that story was important because i do think a lot of people in southern california and in probably in other parts of the country feel like i need to keep up with everybody else and if i have to lie and steal and cheat to do it so be it but i need to i need to keep up in order to make myself feel like i matter in this world it's it's weird because I almost think the pandemic has changed that because mm -hmm. I do think that was the attitude. But like now there's no and I don't see things returning to what they were for quite a while, you know, in L.A. Although, I mean, I've been invited. I sometimes get invited to things in San Diego because I have friends there and I know publicists there. And, but there is not a lot of parties like mm -hmm. there is not a whole real reason to like dress up or look nice anymore except for the internet and you can return them by the way clothes. you're very cool that you get invited to parties i don't think i've been in a, invited to a party in like three years wait i'll invite <laughs> i think people i think people I'll are invite like you she has too many children she's too many children no i get i mean like i was going out and like i'm not <laughs> bragging it's just a part of my life like i would get invited to more events than than i could go to i would could be out five or six days a week um wow. even now this was before the pandemic well, wait, now, wait until you have a kid you're gonna go oh no thanks i'm gonna stay home and hang out 
Well, that was what I wanted to ask you. Is, so you have five <laughs> children, yeah. which is an amazing feat to deliver five ch- Like, you carried and delivered five children. Like, that is <laughs> – I am in awe. How do you do – because you have a podcast, which you have to do – you mm-hmm. do, like, two to three interviews per podcast. It's right. very, very, you know, structured. You have to watch these shows. You mm-hmm. have – how do you do all of this? Like, I want to know your secret. Mm, I'm a very good multitasker, like a multitasker on crack. Every minute of my day, I'm doing two things at once. Um, I have learned that the delegation is key. I do a lot of stuff at night when my kids are sleeping. I'm not somebody who needs a lot of sleep. I'm probably fine on five hours of sleep. Um, I also just really love it. So if you think about it, if you have a job and you are dredging, you know, dreading going to your job, it makes the day seem twice as fast. So I just find I'm really good at finding pockets of time to watch or listen to or to read things. And I just love it. I feel like I'm ultimately my advice to people is to find a job that you could talk about for 40 hours and not, you know, miss a beat. And so it doesn't really feel like that much work. That's that's and by the way, when I started it like five years ago, people were like, not only what the hell is a podcast, they called it a (laughs) podcast. I had so many friends at the time that thought, well, you know, people that are Instagram influencers are really the way to go. So I find it very funny and kind of rewarding that now because of the pandemic that podcasting has become such a big thing. And um, it's just kind of funny because people are like, oh, I think I'll just start a podcast. I'm like, good luck to you because it's a freaking lot of work. but oh, I know. No one understands that. I think that, you know, ultimately I figured out a way to do something that I truly, truly love. And I'm, I mean, I was really good at my first chapter job, but I just didn't have the same passion. And now um, I, I, I'm so passionate about unscripted TV. So it's great. Another great thing that's come with it is that I've really cultivated some great relationships with network executives and publicists, et cetera. So I'd see myself not only expanding on my show, but also creating shows. So you want to create other, like, do you want to create reality shows or podcasts? I would like to create unscripted television programming. So um, documentaries, docuseries, and reality shows. Although I would love one day to create an, uh, a female podcast network. That's, that's, I was going to say it's called Dear Media. (laughs) No, but I have this jealousy. Mm -hmm. I have this, like, I feel inferior because I am not on that network and I'm not, I'm actually talking to a network later today. So I may be on a different network soon, Mm -hmm. but, um, I don't know. That's just my own insecurity thing. They're like, we've built this and you've, you've interviewed Lauren. Lauren's been on your show, right? She was on a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Not since she's had her baby though. Her baby. I mean, she's probably like two now no it's so hard to keep track of time during covid like no one knows when anything yeah and if you don't if you don't have a child yet you're kind of not paying attention to milestones like i just have so many kids that i i'm always thinking like did they have a child around so like my number four my number five (laughs) so yeah 
I just like don't know how you how you do like even with help, even with delegation, like five adorable and I'm saying adorable because I see pictures of your kids and they're all like <laughs> oh, they're all you. gorgeous and like ridiculously cute. Oh. Like but like kids need their their mom and it's amazing that you can give so much to your fans well, you and know, your kids. I, you know, the good thing is that I have a job that I can really work from home and that's a real blessing. And um, I never take that for granted. And and a lot of the stuff that I have to watch, I can also have my kids watch it with me. So <laughs> I don't know. It's it's been it's been a real it's been a real hard uphill climb for my show. But I'm also grateful because um, I've met tons of great people, and I think that in the end, my kids are going to go. You know what? You really loved something, and you figured out a way to get paid for it. That's that's amazing. Um, let me ask you, what was, so you were in PR, that was your first job, you were in political PR? I did, um, I was an intern at the White House, and I did um, communications for the lower press office, and then I got a job doing um, media consulting for law firms, representing former senators that, senators that had gone back to their law firms, and then I ultimately ended up starting my own PR firm, and I did crisis media litigation and media, and media consulting for global law firms. That sounds so, one, like you have to be incredibly smart, and it sounds so incredibly intense because I deal with publicists mm -hmm. all day, and like I love them. Some of my closest friends are publicists, but like... But, but there's a difference between entertainment PR and corporate PR is just a totally different thing. Um, and I, I have a friend who wrote for Us Weekly for so long, and I would ask her questions and think, this is just such a different beast. Um, but I really liked my job because I'm a news junkie and I'm a political junkie. And it allowed me to basically spend my entire day reading and consuming news. And, mm -hmm. and I'm also someone that really enjoys the crisis part of it. In fact, it's funny because even the t talent that I work with now, and sometimes even production, they'll call me privately and ask me for advice on um, crisis situations. And I enjoy working with people. I think I'm very good at that. So what just made you want to shift? Because I feel like a lot of people that I know, they have kids and they're kind of done working. Well, I just think it's very different and one can never judge someone else because we're all, we all get fulfilled by different things. And when I was growing up, I knew that I, there were several buckets that I wanted to, you know, dip and do work. And I loved athletics. I loved news. I loved, um, so athletics like sports. Mm -hmm. I loved news and I loved politics and I loved um, comedy. And so I think I figured out a way to satiate all of those by working in, in, in ways that I'm able to um, express and work with people in those industries. So in other words, like I filled that political bucket early and then the news bucket I, I filled with my media consulting job. And then I moved into comedy once um, I started having kids. I started taking um, improv comedy classes and writing comedy and then eventually stand-up comedy. And the entertainment um, part and the sports part have come in this job because I've been able to interview Michael Jordan's biographer and Tiger Woods' biographer and talk to athletes who 
have been featured in docu-series. I just interviewed a, a baseball player who was featured in the cover story of Sports Illustrated who walked away from baseball because of mental health issues. So I'm really meeting so many people who work in these industries that I'm fascinated by. So um, I, I guess if I had advice to for someone young, younger, and not that you asked for advice or anybody did, but no, but I think people, that, I think listen, that, people I think like advice. I think kids need to stop, people need to stop pressuring kids that graduate from college and asking them, what's the job that you want? And instead ask them, what are the things that you're interested and would like to pursue? So if it's like, well, I really like finance. Okay, maybe your first chapter job is in finance because that finance job may lead to your second chapter. Maybe in your second chapter, you build an app for finance or you do finance for sports or I think that all these jobs that we have are just layers that, you know, on top of layers. And it, it ultimately gives us the opportunity to pursue different passions and become a multifaceted person. That's so, that's so interesting. You know, what's funny. It's like reality TV, I feel like can be so vapid, but you're such a deep well, person. People say that all the time. Like, oh, it's such garbage. And I'm like, mm, no, it's not. Um, and then I, I can feel like I can talk to anybody about any show. I'm like, okay, what are you interested in? And if they're like, I like basket weaving. I'm like, oh, you, have you watched the show? Blah, blah, blah. And then it leads to a conversation. Then you need to watch this. Then you need to watch that. Like my friend, Jenny McCarthy texts me and she'll say, all right, uh, Donnie and I need to know, what do you watch? And I will give her like seven things. If you like that, then you're going to like that. That'll lead to that. That'll lead to that. And next thing you know, you're having this really interesting conversation about some with, uh, with someone that perhaps you look across the table and think I have nothing in common. And suddenly you realize you both like the same program. And then you talk about the other thing that you watched. And it, it leads to like a deep and more meaningful conversation with someone. So, and the other thing is, People will sometimes say, oh, it's my guilty pleasure. Why it's a guilty pleasure? Be happy about it. It's a great way to escape from your very busy, you know, stressful job. And the last thing that cracks me up is when someone goes, you know, I'm just so busy, Kate. I just don't have time for it. I'm just so busy. I'm like, I got five children, four television projects, and a husband that's a CEO who works seven days a week. You've got time for television, okay? Or they'll say, <laughs> I'm so busy. And then they'll say, but I do watch The Bachelor, Below Deck, uh, Tiger King, blah, 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 you know, and they'll list a siesta key. I'm like, oh, I thought you never watched a reality show. So I think a lot of people watch it and they just don't say anything. But I'm telling them, express it, about it, share what shows you like. Certainly talk to me about it because it's a great way to connect with people. It's a great conversation starter. And by the way, it'll make you the most interesting person at the dinner party. You are definitely like the most in like if someone if you had like a little badge, it would say the most interesting person at the dinner party. Well, let me ask I love I I like sort of trashy reality shows. Like uh -huh. I've been watching the teen moms since the yeah. beginning. And I'm like, oh, I, I love, don't I love Tyler and Caitlin. I love them. I still keep in touch that. with them. How are they doing? They're wonderful. I really admire them, especially given the circumstances that they've, yeah. you know, were, grew up in. I think Tyler has been really admirable in coming out about his own mental health struggles, with, which I don't think a lot of young men would be willing to do. I think that Caitlin's really brave. I think it's admirable that they've stayed together. I think um, their openness is really inspiring. And something I learned about through them is that when that show came out, people were 
concerned that it was going to make being a teen parent seem glamorous. But what it in fact did was the opposite. And statistics for teen pregnancies went down because of that show, because it was a realistic um, expression or, you know, view into the realities of having a child at the age of 16 and really raising it when you don't have any education. And most of these cases didn't really have a very good support system. So, I mean, what an extraordinary thing for them to be part of and to think that they're still married is, is really incredible. I know I and the, and the weird thing is that their former stepbrother and stepsister that makes it even weirder but I know I agree I don't there's something about like I actually admire them too because I'm like the fact that they own a home is like yeah and, and they're have, successful yeah they're successful I mean all things considered like where they yeah. came from and that they talk about that and I think yeah. that it's it's a certain, I don't know, like, I guess, like, in a certain way, like, I root, I root for the underdog. As we all should. Um, but it's, did you actually, let me ask, did you hear, I, this came out this week, that Brianna from Teen Mom 2 said that Ashley um, and Barr don't live in that house, that they rent a house just mm. for the show. Well, I wouldn't be surprised because, and sometimes it's a case of someone's lying about their wealth, certainly. But a lot of cases, it's about the filming abilities. Like in Real Housewives of Orange County, three of them in the last season all lived in the same neighborhood. The reason is because it's one of the only neighborhoods in Newport Beach or surrounding areas where you can get a permit to film. So Ooh. it's sometimes not about someone's lying to you about their wealth. It's a, It's a matter of how can we actually film the show and get the permits to do so? That's a really good point. It's weird, though, because she's like, well, they're lying. And then, you know, she's like, I'm proud of my townhouse, which she should be. She bought a townhouse for all cash for her mom. That's yeah. more than I've done for my parents. Like, Yeah. It's... I mean, it's just sort of, it's just sort of crazy. Now, let me ask you, what are your favorite reality show homes? Re oh, reality show homes. Reality show homes. I think, like, you know, I really like Kyle Richards' house. I think it's, it's gorgeous. Really, really beautiful. And I think she is, well, I think Faye Resnick is her interior decorator. I just think she has, um, it's, it's such an inviting home it's a huge property i'm fascinated that encino is this new booming area because years ago you'd been like encino um yeah i i really like her home i love a lot of the homes that are shown on million dollar listing new york oh yeah because um i'm just fascinated how expensive it is there and how even in small spaces how the architecture, the beauty of a lot of the decor, because the decor is so different in New York than it is in different parts of the country, which I always find so interesting. Um, oh, my gosh. Who else? Let me think. People I love thought, modern I, in New York. I People thought, really love modern. Yeah. I also loved... Um, but I also like in New York, her, you could have... They, they're really... They love a great wallpaper and then, like, a textured couch... And yeah. then beautiful paintings and how they all put it together. I think the Keeping Up with the Kardashians show has been very interesting 
and setting a tone for decor too. I mean, I don't know how many houses are probably in black and white now because of seeing the Kardashian homes mm-hmm. um, and how OCD people probably have become because they like want to manifest the Kardashian home style or something. Um, I think that Stephanie, um, Stephanie in um, Real Housewives of Dallas is a really beautiful Dallas home. Um, I think the architecture is very pretty there. Um, yeah, it, you know, that that's the nice thing about a lot of those Bravo shows that they had this idea of like aspirational living. And I do think it's quite pretty to take a window. And then I think that um, Patricia Alchel's home on Southern Gorgeous. Charm is really beautiful. And there's like this history behind it. I love the stairwell and she's got some great wallpapering. And then she has those beautiful upholstered pieces in her home but really some of the artwork in some of these shows is really quite beautiful yeah I like a lot of the homes it's yeah it's definitely in places like new it's weird like that you said like the wallpaper it's a definite like old money look that doesn't yeah. really exist in California except no. for in my neighborhood because I live in Hancock Park which yes, is basically Hancock the Connecticut Park, of mm. LA <laughs> yeah Every yeah. house looks like it could be in Connecticut. And they talked about it in the last Beverly Hills episode because Erica said that was the one area of the city that she and Tom had agreed they would ever live outside of Pasadena was Hancock Park. I'm surprised they did. I think, I mean, listen, I like Pasadena, but Hancock Park is much, is a much better area. And I yes. mean, maybe I'm just I know. biased. Yeah. Pasadena though, is just, it, I think it's a great place if you have children. Like, that's, like, such a college-age cool place and the shopping that you can walk to. And Hancock Park is, like, this great history with these columned homes and these huge foyers. And, yeah, that's just sort of more, like, Great Gatsby. I could I picture, like, Hancock Park. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know, I guess coming from New York, it is sort of the most East Coast of all the that's probably why because I'm from East Coast so that's probably why I like it but it's I'm surprised I always joke around I'm like which is weird which is weird because I have such a an affinity for the different textures and colors and the pastels and all this but my house is very beachy white which people think is crazy because I do have five children but I want to walk into a house that is bright and white and light because my mom in Philadelphia suburbs we had a house with wood paneling on our walls and brown carpets oh my god it's the worst thing ever I hate it I I have this weird love for it not the whole house but like one room because I because my parents have a house in Pennsylvania that has wood paneling wood paneling is very Pennsylvania so I like to walk into my house and just like airy beachy white peaceful happy yeah that's i had on Bregan jane from hgtv and discovery plus she uh it's extreme makeover home edition mm-hmm. was her big show on hgtv um and she was saying my entire house is white she has two boys and she's like i can just bleach anything i just have bleach and I just bleach it out and it's, yeah, I, I appreciate it and that. it's fine. But also because her job probably allows her to use that creative over the top itness, if that's a word. Um, and so it's like a clean palette when she goes home to sort of, it's the ginger after the sushi, right? It's just like cleansing yeah. herself. Yeah. 
Well, also, if you're like in the industry, it's funny because people will gift me like a lot of furniture <laughs> and I'm like, well, I can always just get another one. <laughs> like, I'll yeah, replace it. like someone will send me something else. It's it's fine because I have a dog that just I have a 75 pound English bulldog that just loves to slobber oh. and destroy everything. But he's yeah. so cute. I love him. But he's a little he's like having 10 kids in terms of men. Let me ask you. One quick question. If someone wants to be on reality TV, what are your best casting tips as someone who is an expert mm-hmm. in this? My advice if someone wants to start a reality or go on a reality show is to have a backup plan. Because if you're going on it to become famous, your life's going to be ruined. You, you're going to want to get something out of it. So it's promoting a business, promoting a charity, promoting something. You've got to have a backup plan because you're not going to have control over the narrative that they tell. And it's people don't often factor in the emotional toll that's going to take not just while filming, but what happens afterwards when it actually comes out and people are ripping you apart on social media. So have a backup plan and get a therapist. (laughs) That's a good one. So where can people find you? You can listen to my show wherever you listen to podcasts. So it's called Reality Life with Kate Casey. And I've got a great Facebook group, Reality Life with Kate Casey. I'm on Instagram at, at KateKCCA, Twitter at KateKC. I put out a list every week of what to watch with about seven or eight or sometimes nine things that you should watch each week. And you can go to katekc.substack.com to get that list. It comes in your email box every Monday, free. And I'm on Clubhouse at, at KateKC. I'm on TikTok at It's KateKC. And then I have got a Patreon for bonus episodes. So patreon.com backslash KateKC. I'm going to link to all of this. I will say you're so good on Clubhouse. Oh, thank you. I know. I just did one this week with Ebony. That was really quite powerful. Oh, wow. I feel bad that I missed that. Well, we didn't tell anybody until 10 minutes before because we were afraid it would get canceled. They, would make, they wouldn't allow her to do it. So we, admitted, we announced it last minute. But it was really great. It was about an hour. Oh, wow. Because yeah. she's so smart. She is the most mm-hmm. educated out of all of them. She's, yeah, she's super great. interesting. Mm-hmm. Best, best, best casting. I li- also like Tiffany Moon in Dallas, though. I think she's great. Actually, I like Crystal, too, because she is so much of an East Coaster. In my mind, she's like an East Coast yeah. person. She's like contained and judgy and... <laughs> um. I love her clothing is more understated. I, I, I think she's I love her clothing. Yeah, me too. <laughs> anyway. Do you have an yeah. opinion on Leah? I like Leah. I don't know. I like her. I think she's an interesting person. I mean, I, listen, I have friends that have different political views, social views, uh, different views on parenting. Uh, I find people interesting, and I find try to find commonality in people versus um, – you know, writing someone off because they don't think the same way I do. So I think she's funny and interesting and I'm uh, compelled by her story. 